Good morning, everybody. Y'all doing all right? All right, can y'all just put your hands together, celebrate Jesus today? All right. Amen. I'm, I'm going to tell you, uh, I think that's like one of the, probably one of the coolest videos ever. I wish I, you know, our church had it cool to where we can do the selfies, or not the selfies, what they call them, emojis, right, and do all that stuff. But Rick is a lot cooler than me, so. so whoever did it right, Rick get the credit. So. <laughs> so it's so good to be here at North Church today. I was sharing earlier today how it's always good to be around family. So whenever I come to another church where we gather as believers, it's a great place to be, right? And I'm just here and happy to celebrate Jesus and to be in your The Pursuit of Happiness series. What I want to do real quick is I want to I pray for us and then I'll get right to it. Is that all right? All right, before I pray, I just want to give you some instructions, okay? I'm one who believes that our time in worship together is not a spectator sport, right? So we just don't sit and watch, we participate. So if I, if, so if I happen to say something that you like or something that you agree with, you can say amen. You can talk back to me. I like, I like, to, I like for it to be some sort of conversation. So, so if I say something you agree with or that sound right, you shout amen. amen. And I'll tell you, there is a little caveat to it. That means that if you don't say amen, I'll add time to the end of the sermon, okay? So... I'll pray for us, and then we'll get right to it. Is that right? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day and this opportunity, Lord, that you've given us your people to gather for worship. Lord, just thinking through it, it's breathtaking that we're even able to be here today, God, because it's not something that we deserve. But God, by your grace and your mercy, You've called us out of darkness and into the marvelous light. Therefore, we take advantage of this moment, God, to give you glory, to give you honor, to give you worship, Lord, because you deserve it. I pray, Father, that as we study your word together today, God, that you will be made big in our hearts, that you will be the object of our affection. I pray, Lord, that you let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. This prayer and all our prayers we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to read. I want to read Matthew 5, verse 5 real quick, just so we can um, have a trajectory as to where we're headed. Matthew 5, verse 5 simply says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, as we really begin to look at this one verse of Scripture today, I want to really want to ask you a question. I want to get your wheels turning. I know it's a Sunday, right? And you're like, man, uh, I'm off work today and all of that. This is the weekend. This is the, one of the turn-up days. But I want to get your wheels turning in your mind. When you see this word meek or when you hear the word meekness, like, like think about it. What comes to your mind? What does it make you think about? Interesting thing is, as important as this is, interesting thing is we don't hear it much anymore. You, you don't just hear nobody just coming to you and encouraging you saying, hey, brother, be meek today. 
Right? They'd be like, well, most people be like, well, that, that has to be a Hebrew meaning or, or what's that in the Greek, right? We want you to understand, right, that that, that meekness, while you don't hear it much, it's extremely important, right? Though scripture records it, we don't really hear it. For some reason, um, we, we don't hear it discussed that much. But, but today, I want to attempt um, through our time together to help you not only understand what meekness is, but, but I want to, of, of some sorts, help you to fully embrace the fact that being meek is not something that we are called to do, but being meek is something that we're called to be. You know, we, we, we tend to look at certain things as, well, well, I'll do it today, but, but tomorrow I may not. No, meekness is, it, meekness is a way of living for the blood ball. Right, and I want you to understand, right, if you don't remember nothing else that I got to say, because right, I'm known for having a whole lot to say, ask Ben. He'll tell you, right? So, so I'm known, right, but to have a lot to say, but I, so, but I want you to remember, if you don't remember anything else today, I want you to know that meekness is not what we do, but meekness should be who we are. Meekness isn't what we do, but it's, it's who we are. It's what we should be. Now, based on various scriptures in which meekness is used, we can come up with a very good work and definition for it. Meekness, um, according to scripture, is being humble and gentle towards others and willingly being submissive and obedient to the Lord. Now, that's something we don't talk about no more. Right, you, we, we, we see all these theological books on the hypostatic union, eschatology, reform theology, Arminianism, but nobody ever writes a book about obedience. I would like to believe that nobody really talks about obedience anymore because most people don't want to do it. Because remember in James, James says we're drawn away by our own lusts and entices. Well, let me, let me bring it, modernize that word for you. Folks just do what they want to do. But being meek, being meek, right, is being humble and gentle towards others and willingly being submissive and obedient to the Lord. See, see, being meek or practicing meekness is not being selfish or arrogant. It's not being loud and obnoxious, but rather it's having a quiet but a confident trust in the Lord and being willing and able to do whatever he commands you to do. Let me ask you this, are you meek or are you selfish? Do you desire to see your name in lights making your name known or do you want to make Christ known? Meekness isn't what we do, but it should be who we are. Meekness is the opposite of being out of control. It is not weakness, right? Um, Meekness is not weakness, but it's supreme control empowered by the Holy Spirit. Meekness, right, is power under control, right? Meekness is the attitude of heart and mind that prepares the way for sanctification. If we are meek, then the truth is, if you're meek, you're teachable. If you're meek, you're teachable. Um, a meek and quiet spirit is valuable to God. 
It's valuable to God. It's something that his followers ought to seek, right? We even see in 1 Timothy 6, 11, right? Um, but as for you, O man of God, he said, flee these things, pursue righteousness, pursue godliness. He says, pursue faith, love, steadfastness. And, but he also says, pursue gentleness or pursue meekness. This is going to be a long sermon. I'm going to add all time, right? He says, pursue meekness, right? Scripture even talks to us in Galatians 5 about the, the fruit or evidence of Holy Spirit. And he, he says, right, right, we all know, right, if you ever stopped by Sunday school or even went to children's church at one point, everybody know Galatians 5, right? 22, 23, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Let me tell you, when he uses this word fruit, it's actually talking about evidence, right? You're taught that you can tell a tree by fruit that it bears, well, the truth of the matter is, if you've been purchased by the blood of Christ, there ought to be a receipt, some evidence that you belong to Jesus, right? But right here in Galatians 5, it's called fruit. And here's what he says, right? I'm going I'm to paraphrase a little bit. He said, if you belong to Holy, if, if Holy Spirit is in your life, if you've been purchased by the blood of Jesus, you ought to have evidence. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, meekness. Do you know gentleness, right? That, 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 that's where it is. Do you know that being meek is fruit of the Spirit? Being meek is what believers are called to do. That's evidence the Holy Spirit is resting in your life. Let me tell you this. If you aren't meek, if you, aren't, if you don't have a desire to be meek, if you don't have a desire to be gentle, I'm going to encourage you to check your spiritual pulse. Because there's a chance that you, you, you may be void of Holy Spirit. I need you to understand here, church, that Holy Spirit works in us to make us more like Jesus. Holy Spirit works in us, church, um, as part of the fruit or results um, of Holy Spirit. He, Holy Spirit works in us to make us meek. And Holy Spirit works in us to make us Gentle. Do you know you can't be gentle on your own? Because if it was left up to you, you, you couldn't be humble on your own because if it was up to you, you would be the best thing since sliced bread. If it was up to you, you would do your thing to the go-go swing. You would get it in every opportunity you could, but because Holy Spirit rests in the life of the genuinely converted, blood-bought believer, we have the responsibility not to focus on our own selves, but to ensure that our hearts, to ensure that our minds are focused on the one who saved us. I need you to grab this point that meekness isn't what we do, but it's who we should be. All throughout scripture, we see this word meekness used, right? And, and they, he, they, they use synonyms, right? You know, synonyms is words that are similar to the word being used that gets you to the same point. Right? I know this is not English class. I just wanted to say that so folks will know I know a little bit, right? <laughs> but he uses synonyms for the word meekness in scripture. And, and therefore, scripture has a lot to say about being meek, right? Zephaniah. Chapter 2, verse 3 says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of anger of the Lord. He said, look, 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 think about that. 
One day the Lord is going to come, he's going to be angry. But if you seek meekness, you'll please him. That's, that's just Zephaniah. But in, but in Titus 3, in Titus 3 verse 2, he says, remind them to be submissive to their rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling. And watch this, he says, remind them to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That's an Old Testament example in Zephaniah, but right here in Titus, Paul is writing and he says, be gentle. But what rocked me about Titus, Rebecca, was that he said, he, he, he couldn't just tell him, what, why is it that you belong to Jesus and you have to be reminded to be gentle? You belong to Jesus, gave him your heart, 30 years ago, and you got to be reminded to be meek. It kind of blew my mind, especially reading our text today, because he says the, the meek are blessed. Not only are the meek blessed, but they inherit the earth. It's important. If we look at our text, it's important to know that when Jesus uses this word blessed, the Greek word here is happy or happiness. And, and I want you to understand, right, um, as Rick, right, has talked over the last couple of weeks, somebody said, how he know? Because I listen on a podcast. Hallelujah. Right? Was listening to, and Rick made that point clear that here he's not talking about happiness, right, that we think about, right, he's walking around skipping, singing Pharrell because I'm happy. No, no, not that kind of happy. He's talking here, right? He isn't speaking of some temporary emotional state, but he's talking about the spiritual well-being of those who belong to Jesus, right? Somebody said, can you just give me one word? Okay, sure, satisfaction, right? Let me tell you this, right? As I was working on this, I started thinking, right, about the happiness in this text, and another word came to my mind, joy. Like, joy is only found in the presence of a Savior. But we live in a time where we look for joy in everything else. Let me tell you, I've been married for 13 years, right? Um, we celebrated 13 years last week, right? And it was good. Right? Tracy Bird makes me a happy guy. Right? Hallelujah. She makes me happy. But the interesting thing is, I can't find joy in Tracy. I only find joy in Christ. She has some joyous attributes. Right? She has, right, this way of making me smile when everybody else seemed to tick me off. But lasting joy is only found in the presence of a Savior. See, when we think about happiness that the world talks about, that's temporary satisfaction. But we cannot stay in this vein where we look for temporary satisfaction. I don't know about you, but when the Lord purchased me with his blood and called me into relationship with him, he removed me from the temporary to the eternal. I'm going to tell you, yeah, happiness is good, but I'll take joy any day because I know joy lasts in him. Right here in the text, he's talking about 
um, he, um, the, the, the blast, he's talking about happiness. He's speaking, he isn't speaking of a temporary emotional state, but he's talking about the spiritual well-being of those who belong to Jesus. He's talking about satisfaction. Jesus was describing here um, the divinely bestowed well-being that belongs, watch this, only to the faithful. Which would mean, watch this, ain't no way you're going to inherit the earth if you're not faithful. Do you know you're called to be faithful? You're called to be committed. You, you, you are called, listen, to have grit. What is grit? I'm not talking about the stuff in the bowl, right? We can have a conversation, um, butter or sugar, right? I'm on the sugar team. If you put salt and pepper on your grits, there's the door, right? But, but when I talk about grits, right, I'm talking about, uh, when I say grit, I'm talking about some stick to Being faithful. You got to be faithful. There's perhaps no scripture, um, uh, it, it, no, no scripture is well known as important, right, as this great sermon here, right? This, this, this Beatitudes, it's, it's extremely important because, right, uh, um, here with the Beatitudes, it, it, it's a cl- it, it classically, right, it exemplifies God's inversion of the world's values. Do you think that, right, if you were in the world walking around shouting, talking about some, hallelujah, I'm poor, they can be like, no, you're crazy, <laughs> right? If you go around, right, telling people, oh, no, you know, you, you, you know so, so much so, right, that if you open a door like this, the world is so jacked up that, right, you can't even be humble, right? You can't even focus on anybody else anymore because so much so, even if you think being as simple as opening the door, folks turn their nose up. You at a restaurant, right? You walking through the grocery store, if a man say hi to a woman, now he flirt. No, I was just being nice. Right? But, but, but the, the world does not look at things like Jesus was talking, right? He was coming against the world's values and giving us kingdom values. In his kingdom or, you know, in his reign, those who are considered fortunate, right? He considers those fortunate who the world deems unimportant. The poor, the sorrowing, the humble. The righteous, the merciful, the pure, the peacemakers, and even the persecuted. See, the world turns their back on those kind of people, but we serve a Savior. When the world turns their back, our Savior opens his arms. That's what's good about them. They are precisely the categories of people too many of us tend to despise and ostracize. But I want to tell you, listen, it can't be us. It does us no good to come to church on Sundays when we ostracize the less fortunate. Regardless to what their socioeconomic status is, race, background, I don't care if they wear their flannel tucked in or out, whatever it is, right? I don't care if it's Thanksgiving and you're arguing over sweet potato pie or pumpkin pie. But at the end of the day, our responsibility is to be meek and embrace all of those around us to make Christ known. That's what being meek is all about. That's what it's all about. With our hearts focused here on being meek, there's three factors. Three factors about meekness that I, would, that, that I wanna encourage you to consider. That I want, I, I want this to help you really embrace this whole truth about meekness, number one. The first factor that I wanna lay in front of you is the practice of being meek. 
the practice of being meek, right? Um, practice, this word practice says it, it, it's, a, it's a repeated exercise in or a performance of an activity or skill so as to acquire or maintain proficiency in it. Remember a couple years ago, right? And I'm not much of a sports dude. There was this guy who was playing sports. He was a basketball player. His nickname was The Answer. Anybody remember that, who that is, right? Allen Iverson, he was The Answer, right? And funny thing is, is that he stopped showing up to practice. So he does an interview, and they ask him, man, what, you know, what's up? Man, I'm paraphrasing, right, because I don't watch ESPN, right? Um, it just comes on the radios from time to time. But they asked him, they said, listen, what's up with you in practice? Somebody going to come correct me later. It's okay. I gave you a disclaimer. I'm not a sports guy. <laughs> All I remember him saying was practice? Are we really going to argue about practice? But the funny thing is, is that fast forward to today, dude is semi-broke and ain't playing nowhere. All because he didn't take practice serious. Interesting thing is, like, the church is taking that same approach when it comes to humility or meekness. If somebody come to you and say, well, how come you ain't humble? You ought to practice it. Practice? No, we have to understand that life is not about us. Therefore, if we want to be meek, we have to have rhythms of our lives to practice being meek, practice being humble, practice lowering yourself and lifting up the name of Jesus. We have to practice it. Listen, all genuinely converted, blood-bought believers, I love that term because it just, it just signifies right who you're talking about. Because if you just say believers, so many people think they believers and they not. But if you say genuinely converted, blood-bought believers, that signifies some folk who've been really purchased by the blood of Jesus. See, actors can act out anything. You can act out being a gangbanger. You can act out being a businessman. You can act out being a stunt double. But one thing that you can't act on is being genuine. And that's why I love the term. See, genuinely converted, blood-bought believers must become proficient in meekness. We must be proficient in meekness. See, meekness must become a fixture in your life that no matter what happens, you must grab a hold of it. You got to grab a hold of it. You must become so proficient in it that it's who you become. How can you become it if you never practice it? Right. See, the thing is, right, in my mind, in my mind, I'm the best keyboard player in the city. Right. I don't know how to play keyboard in my mind. Right. Travel with me. Right. In my mind, like, I can I can play every song in every key. That's my mind being I, I imagine. Barney said, use your imagination. I got good at it. So I, I really wanted to play. So my wife said, you know what, babe, I'm going to I'm going to buy you a keyboard. So I bought a keyboard. I go downstairs in my basement sometimes and hit the keys and all of that good stuff. But if I could just be honest, I'm horrible at it. I'm good in my mind, but in the flesh, I'm just bad at it. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I don't practice. I don't practice. When I got time to do it, I'd much rather read or something. Right? Somebody said, if, if I did have a previous life, well, in my previous life, I was a jazz musician. <laughs> 
The truth of the matter is, is that, right, in order to be good at it, we have to practice it. In order to be proficient, we have to practice. And let me tell you, there's many ways that you can practice meekness. You can practice by learning to respect and honor one another. You can practice by being willing to listen without feeling like you have to defend your position. You can practice meekness by recognizing your own weakness and surrendering that weakness to God. You can practice meekness by stripping yourself of selfishness. There's many Many other ways, right, that you can practice meekness, but there's two of them that I really want to stress to you. The first way I want to give to you that you can practice meekness is by being quick to forgive. The church hold grudges, but you want to be humble. You sitting on this side of the church and you talking about them on this side, talking about from this side. No, you don't harbor unforgiveness in your heart. No, you can't do that. If you want to practice meekness, then be quick to forgive. Practice resisting the urge to hold grudges by being quick to forgive those who hurt you. It's funny. Is that people shout on the fact, Ben, that the church is not like a family, but it is a family. But we come to church around other believers, but be mean and ignorant to our own families at home. All because we holding on to the pains of the past. But do you know that 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things pass away, all things are made new. If that's the case, and we really believe it, then why do we have a hard time letting go of the pains of the past? Well, you have to be quick to forgive. You got to be quick to forgive, forgiveness is an essential part of the life of the believer. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven you. The Bible tells us to forgive those who sin against us. We keep no record of wrongs, but forgive as many times as necessary, right? Refusing to forgive a person demonstrates resentment. Refusing to forgive a person demonstrates bitterness. Refusing to forgive a person demonstrates anger. It's almost like, right, somebody say, I forgive you, but I don't forget. Well, do you really forgive? Because you ain't supposed to keep no record of wrongs. That's just an excuse to hold on to your own anger and bitterness. But we, if we want to practice meekness, we must be quick to forgive. Not only do we need to be quick to forgive, but we, we can practice weakness by, watch this, this is, a, this is a big one, by confessing our sin. Because it's interesting, when somebody wrong to us, right, we want to we wanna hold them to the carpet, but when we, when we wrong to somebody, we want to cover it up. You practice meekness by confessing your sin, right? Let's be honest. Confessing your sin sometimes takes courage, right? Rather on purpose or not, most of us have been um, in this position where we just want to be perfect. And listen, and and I want to help you understand something. None of us here are perfect. Maybe Rick, but the rest of us don't have a chance, right? None of us here are perfect, right? Thinking that, that we are, right, actually it waters down the power of the gospel. Because listen, the gospel is not for perfect people. The gospel is for sinners. And that's what we have to remember. If you want to practice meekness, confess your sin. First John 1, 9, he says if you confess your sin, that he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We got to practice meekness. Number two, 
Not only do I want you to understand this factor of practicing meekness, but I want you to have a picture of meekness, a picture of meekness, right? Let me tell you this. Jesus is the ultimate example of someone who was meek. He had all the power in the world, yet he used it to help others and even lay down his life for everybody else. He had plenty of opportunities to try to get revenge and attack on those who attacked him, but he didn't do it. Rather, he was willing to submit his entire life to the Father as evidenced by his prayer in the garden, right? Remember, y'all, y'all remember what he said, right? I'm talking to a room full of theologians, right? He says, God, if it's your will for this cup to pass, let it pass. Then he says, but not my will. Your will be done. That's meekness. It's meekness. Jesus, he wasn't shy. He wasn't passive. He wasn't quiet. Listen, nobody, um, nobody needs those characteristics in order to be meek. Meekness is a humble and gentle attitude that expresses itself um, in patient endurance of unfair treatment. A meek person is not bitter or angry, and he does not seek revenge when wrong. Jesus didn't do it. He's the picture of meekness, the greatest picture that we could ever see of meekness. It's through Jesus' death on the cross, his burial in a borrowed tomb, and his resurrection at the right hand of the Father. That is the greatest picture of meekness that you could ever see. It's the greatest picture of meekness that you could ever see. Why? It's because um, he didn't do it for himself. He did it for you and I. John 3.16, right? That's another one, right, that you just learn in Bible study, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now, here's the shouting material. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. That is meekness. That's meekness. Jesus showing us kindness, which leads to our repentance. That's meekness. Jesus, an innocent Savior, giving his life for a guilty sinner to be reconciled into right relationship with with their creator. That, my friends, is meekness. Jesus taking your yoke upon him and giving us rest. That's meekness. Paul even talked in Philippians and gave us a greater picture. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. He even went down and he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. Watch this. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You want to be meek? I tell you this. Meekness means making a sacrifice. Being a Christian should cost you something. Jesus is the greatest picture of meekness in church. I said it once, and I'm going to say it to you again. Meekness is not something that we do. It's who we must be. And Jesus 
painted that picture for us by being an innocent man who went to the cross for the sinner. Not only did he go to the cross, he was buried and he rose from the grave with all power in his hands that we may be reconciled to right relationship with God. That, my friends, is meekness and Jesus painted the picture. With our hearts, y'all, focused on meekness. Three factors I want to use to encourage you to consider and to help you embrace meekness. Number one, you got to practice it. Number two, never forget the picture of meekness, right? But the third and final point, I want you to embrace the pleasure of meekness. Y'all see the Baptist boy come out with them peas, right? That was for you, Rick. So we're talking about the practice, the picture, and the pleasure of meekness. Understand that meekness gives us the greatest pleasure of all. It gives us the the greatest benefit that we can ever experience. Right here in Matthew 5 is where we see it. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek. Here's the pleasure. Here's the pleasure here. He says, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, for some of y'all, that may not be big. But for me, that's huge. That's huge, right? In the text, inheriting the earth simply means becoming joint heirs with Christ. Right? Back where I'm from, when you talk about being joint heirs with Christ and you know you don't deserve it, somebody would have ran around the church a couple of times. Because you realize you don't deserve it, but God, in his grace, blessed you in a way that you didn't deserve. God's redemption at Christ's expense, a co-heir with Christ. That's what it means. Simply put, it means that everything that God owns belongs to us as well. Why? Because we belong to him. Those who are meek will inherit the earth. A few years ago, right, there was a, well, many, many years ago, there was a stage play that came out and and somebody got smart and figured they would redo the stage play into a movie. The name of the movie was called Annie. Annie, I, I saw the stage play, it was cool, but the movie was off the chain, right? It was good. She sung this song, uh, I'm witnessing my moment. I love to sing that with my kids because they get irritated. I sing it at the top of my lungs and they just get mad, right? Fathers, don't provoke your kids to wrath, okay? So, so in this movie, right, in this movie, Annie, right, Annie was an orphan who went around looking for her parents, waiting to have something of her own, but then Annie moves from the orphanage to a condo with a man named Mr. Stacks. It was an incredible change for her. Because she went from the slums to a condo. She leaves behind a spiteful, alcoholic, mean caretaker and enters a relationship with a caring father. She goes from having no possessions to having a fortune at her disposal. The hard knock life is overcome by the brightness of a sunny tomorrow. That's what it means to inherit the earth. 
The fact, right, that you go from nothing to something, not because you deserve it, but because you have a loving father who loves you so much so that he was willing to look past your sin and give his only son for you. If that doesn't make you meek, nothing will. Nothing will. Understand that Annie, the picture of Annie is what being a co-heir with Christ means. That's what it's all about. Romans 8, 17, we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in this last time. Understand this. Grab this. Meekness. Is not something that we do. Meekness is who we ought to be. We ought to have a strong desire not to focus on ourselves, but to focus on Jesus. Those of us who belong to Jesus understand you must be humble. Scripture says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We must be humble and gentle toward others and willingly being submissive and obedient to the Lord. It's not this selfish, arrogant, loud, or obnoxious thing. Rather, it's having a quiet but confident trust in the Lord and being willing to and able to do whatever he commands. Understand this. Those who submit their power to God will inherit the perfect kingdom coming to earth. And in this kingdom, we receive by God's grace the good things, which is an eternal relationship with him. We're able to be co-heirs, co-laborers with Christ because he's the object of our affection and not ourselves. Remember today that as you pursue happiness, pursue meekness. Life is not about you. It ain't about you being a top CEO at your company. But if you do, your aim should be to make Christ known. Meekness isn't something that we do. But for the believer, meekness is who we are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us, Lord, that this life is not our own because we belong to you. We pray today. I beg you, Father, to break our hearts, Lord, for what breaks yours. Reveal to us the areas in our lives, Lord, where we aren't obedient, where we are not submitting to you. God, we know that meekness is power under control. So we pray, oh Lord, that your spirit will not only convict us, but give us the discipline needed, God, not to use our power to be rude or cause ill will to others. Help us to know you. Father, help us to trust you. And I pray today that you will daily conform us to the image of your son. 
We love you, Lord, and we thank you for hearing our prayer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.